Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our guest for the show is St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter. The last time we had Mayor Carter on the show, he'd only been on the job for about six months, and he talked about what he hoped to accomplish as mayor. This time, now that he's been on the job about a year and a half and some change, we get a better understanding of what he's been working on for the city. This show was recorded live at the Amsterdam Barn Hall in downtown St. Paul. Hope you like it. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Oh, I have to be nice to them oh, before they good. start. Okay, How are you? Good. It's good very to see you guys. Thank you very much. It's great that's to see you. Um, no, they're right. going to make fun of me. i got to start uh, by me. Yeah, like, no, they're going to score make, some sympathy They're going to make fun with you. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. So, that's what my family says. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you were, it. You were here a year ago. Yes. And you were only at like six months in that's at right. that point. Now you're a year and a half in. Um, I, maybe just as like a sort of starting place, I am very curious. Like you've been in the job now for a year and a half. What what's like the most su- thing that surprised you along that way? Like, is there something that you have that is you weren't expecting? Everything like <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I. I wasn't to expecting that. to win, Tane. Honestly, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no, everything. I always tell folks like the, the like the biggest surprise is just the number of big surprises, right? Like just from one thing to the next. I've been mayor for a year and a half, and we've had you know record snowfall. It takes a lot in Minnesota to break snow records, right? And we've had record snowfall. We had a rock slide on Wabasha Avenue. We've had uh, 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 the 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 ceiling of one of our uh, Parking ramps collapse in. Do you worry it's like biblical at this point? Like, oh, my my wife is here right now, and Doctor Doctor Sakina Futro Carter. It's great to see you, love. It's good. You and pointed her out last here. time. Too. Yes, yes. We, I hear she loves this. We when, go on vacation, and she's like, oh, "I want you to disconnect." And I'm like, "I can't. If I disconnect, I don't know for sure that like Godzilla's not ripping our buildings apart." And so if I can just check in long enough to know that no like great calamity has befallen our great city, then I'll be able to relax better. Yeah. Okay. So I have there been positive surprises or are they just mostly disasters um yes i think the biggest uh, uh, uh the the thing that gives me that just really energizes me yeah. is the number of people you know we have this style that's inclusive and engaging and th- that says you know even as the mayor like i can't just make the decisions on the third floor of my office like w- if this is going to be our city if we're going to build a city that works for all of us it takes all of us doing some of the work and from just even walking through target to being out in community to public meetings and you know we do our budget our budget team is here give a shout out for our budget big round of applause for the city of st paul budget team buy them a drink budgets they're great honestly they're great and and the the you know we'll do a budget meeting on a 80 degree sunday afternoon at a brewery and have like 70 people there uh ready to help and so that that may be the coolest surprise is just the way people have stepped in to say let's run the city together so uh, there's i'm incredibly grateful that you're here you've come and been on our show twice now i want to say that like you have more important things to do, but you do a lot of things that aren't important. Like, you testified to Congress last week, and it's just sort of like, I mean, if you're going to waste time there, you may as well um, come on our improv show. Of Well, I, I, I wanted to come here because I wanted to come somewhere where people actually get things done. Yeah. Right? Which is an improv comedy show. That's right, as opposed to Congress. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to Congress. What, what were you, do you tell us a little bit about what, why, why? Yeah, we were talking about uh, our climate crisis, yeah. you know, and, you know, th- there's this conversation that pretends climate change is like a debate with two sides. Uh, and in a way, there sort of is. There's like all of known like science on one side. And then there's like a guy named Doug on the other side, right? It's like, and, and so, you know, 
the extent to which climate change is impacting all of our communities, there were five, there were four mayors there, I'm sorry, uh, and all of us represented different, completely different ge geographies, completely different places, and all of us came to say, you know, our city's geography makes us particularly sensitive to climate crisis. For us, you know, the river, uh, for the, the, the polar vortexes uh, that we're seeing, the, our water is warming, and that's having an impact on, like, our fish stock and our lakes and our rivers, uh, and the impact is, is, is really large. Uh, there's, I'm part of a group of over 400 mayors across Across the country who have said, you know what, the federal government has pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, but we're going to take local actions to make sure that America is still a leader in this space. Thank you. But, so, we, but we were in D.C. to say, like, even all of our local actions combined aren't enough without yeah. federal action. So uh, there's been some conversation over the last year. There was a report that came out about how climate change is going to impact different cities. And there was some talk about, like, you know... Uh, the Twin Cities might be particularly like negatively impacted by this, and you were starting to outline a couple of those warming waters affecting fishing and so. But like, what what are the things that you are thinking about and like planning for? I mean, the thing is, when you talk to anybody, and nobody will say like climate climate crisis is directly impacting my life, right? But people do recognize if you've lived in Minnesota for a while, we recognize like we've had a lot of blizzards over these last couple of years, right? You might recognize that of on, on record of the 10 greatest like floods in our city's history, three of them have happened in the last 10 years. Like that's scary. That's something that we got to, got to really kind of pay attention to. And if we're like really stretching from the polar vortexes that we've seen in the wintertime and these like incredible snowfalls uh, to the heat advisory and extreme heat that we see, that's going to create a lot of impact on us. It's going to change everything. It's going to change the way uh, you know we, we, we enjoy a day out at the lake. It's going to change our, our heat and electricity bill and everything in between, and we have to be ready for that. So, uh, so you mentioned budgeting. Budget team is here. Uh, and they, I was talking to yes, applaud, just that's an applause line every time we say, budget team, drink, applaud. Uh, that's right. That's right. So... Uh, they were actually, I was talking to some of them before the show, they're like, oh, we, ask the mayor, did he finish, has the budget done? I don't know, ask them. I don't, <laughs> is it done? I don't know. Um, we're, we're close. We're getting close. I, I, get, I give my uh, budget address on August 15th. Uh, we do our budget the same way we do everything, and that's through engagement. So we've had a series of engagement events uh, in every ward of the city. Uh, we've, had, we've done them at, uh, we did one at a high school. Uh, we did one with our kind of local business leaders. Uh, and we bring all that feedback together to say, what, are, what is our community saying? My, my, my parents taught me growing up that whatever religion you claim, the book that shows what you value is your checkbook. Uh, right, I have to change the way I say that because, like, I was at a college campus and they were like, "Checkbook, what's that?" Yeah. Um, but you know how we spend our money has to reflect our values, and if our budget doesn't reflect our values, then they're not really our values. We can't call them our values. And so, you know, we we did a lot last year that I was really proud of. Uh, we uh, tripled the free programming in our rec centers. Uh, we've uh, made an unprecedented investment in affordable housing, and we eliminated late fees in our St. Paul Public Libraries, which is something that excited me too. So this is a weird, so um, last year uh, I was at the state fair and I was, uh, because this is the exciting life I lead, emceeing Read and Ride Day at the Minnesota oh, yeah. State Fair. Oh yeah, for the give Minnesota it up for Read and Ride Day. Yeah, because there's nothing like being on a roller coaster and reading your favorite book. But, um, but while I was there, like news broke. Mayor Carter has eliminated, like, library fees. I don't know if you timed it that way, but just, uh, what, so, it, I, I, is it... 
You're asking if we timed it for when you were on the uh, ride. When, yeah. I was, when it was Read and Ride That's Day right. at the State Fair. Um, Specifically for your ride. Oh, we good. To just, yeah. it's, so is it just uh, open season now? Like, can I just go to the library now and just, like, take the books? Or do I... Will they give me a dirty look still? Or how does this work? If you take a book and disappear with it, if you destroy a book, if you burn a book, if you whatever you do and destroy the book, then you'll still have to pay a replacement fee for it. Oh, well, the that does not that we sound made, like getting rid of fees. The change that we made is if our children come into our city library, take a book, and bring it back on Thursday instead of Wednesday, we don't want their $1.75. Why not? <laughs> so look, so we, we, we realize a couple things about late fees. One, they, they, they don't do what we think they do. Li- late fees don't make people bring library books back. They make people stay away from the libraries for years, right? And like without judgment, does anybody like know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so, so that's one. But then two, uh, we had uh, over 50,000 people whose lending privileges had been revoked in our public libraries for as little as $10 in late fees dating back to 2009. And the important thing to know about those people is they're the St. Paul taxpayers whose money turns on the lights in the library in the first place, right? And so our, our, I, I always joke with folks that it was a really hard decision to make until I realized we actually want kids to read, right? And so we said, you know, we want to welcome families back into our St. Paul public libraries. And the thing that's important that we realize is you know, for some of us, a $10 late fee is an inconvenience and an irritation. For some of us, it's dinner for our children, right? And so, you know, we decided to just do away with that policy completely. Uh, we did it uh, effective at the beginning of this year. Uh, 42,000 people had their lending privileges reinstated. Hmm. And in the first three months of this year, uh, on those 42,000 cards, 19,000 materials were checked out of our public libraries. Double-digit increases on the east side. Uh, all right. So, speaking of, like, services like cities have provided for millennia, uh, trash hauling uh, is... Uh, so, I should, I should, like, admit, like, I live in Minneapolis, uh, and where... Nobody's we, perfect. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and we, uh, like, I'm used to, you know, the city picks up my garbage. But I understand here it's, it's different in St. Paul. It has been different. People have, like, a local you know, person, like, they have their own individual people. I, I will be honest, I don't get this fight. Like, I don't get what we're, what the fight exactly is. So, I was just going to basically turn it over to you to just help help me understand what is the lawsuit and the fighting and uh, garbage, and I'm going to go to the bar. Right. Um, so... Well, the city attorneys don't like it when I talk too much about lawsuits, pending lawsuits. Go on. <laughs> right. Um... At the core, we have a we have a city that has had an open open hauling system forever, right? Um, not forever, for a little while. Uh, we've had an open hauling system, and we've got some great companies, fantastic, who do, do a great job serving our city, who have formed relationships with families and whole neighborhoods, and who have served our city really well for a really long time. At the same time, that results in you know we've seen you know families who under this open system have said up to like a half a dozen to a dozen different garbage trucks going down the same alley uh, in the same week. And that's a frustration around public safety. That creates a lot of uh, excess pollution. Uh, That creates uh, a a real kind of uneven rate structure. Uh, And it also has a lot of wear and tear on our streets. And one of the things that I hear from everybody in every neighborhood is we need to invest in our streets and have fewer potholes and, like, stronger streets. And so... 
going to an organized system is designed to, and I would say it's also designed to reduce uh, dumping in our community because one of the things I tell people all day, every day, the things that I love about St. Paul, let me tell you one thing I don't love about St. Paul. It's in that kind of spring melt when the snow melts and it uncovers like the couches and the TVs and stuff like that in the alleys. And so figuring out a way to decommoditize trash like this is, I think, is, is important. Uh, there are folks who have some, I think, some valid concerns. Uh, and some of those things I chalk up to an opportunity to improve the program over time. Uh, but I don't think we should, you know, do away with the program. Altogether. Okay. So the, the city council did tr- try and do organized trash collecting. And then there was a lawsuit. And that's we, we have switched to organized hauling. Switched. It started in October last right. year. Uh, there were some folks who did a petition. Uh, who followed a petition process to try to put it on the ballot to recall it so a- after the program started, after the contract was signed, uh, and after the city had a contract with with this uh, consortium of haulers. Uh, and obviously, unwinding a program a- after the, kind of that point is pretty complex. Uh, but it could happen. It could. Yeah. We're we're so we we got an order uh, from the judge that um, that uh, that that uh, ordered the ordinance that created it the 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 fee structure uh, that uh, ordered that ordinance uh, stayed uh, pending an election. We have uh, appealed that order to the Supreme Court, and so the Supreme Court has accepted our appeal. Uh, that the order has stayed pending the appeal, so we'll be talking to the Supreme Court soon about. Have it. you thought about like a? a you, do, since you're I going, feel like to this is a really good idea. That's su- about to happen. Supreme Court, like a, a reverse miracle on 34th Street, but you just bring in like barrels of garbage instead of letters to Santa and just dump them on the Supreme Court, like stands for them to see. Like this is all the garbage. Like somebody has to pick it up. Well, I mean, that, that, no, the short answer is no, we haven't thought about that. Um, but it is true that, like, I think what none of us want is a situation where we don't know next week or next month who's going to pick up our trash. Yeah. And so our, our top commitment is to uh, public health and to make sure yeah. that every week, every day, that people in St. Paul know who's going to pick up their trash next is it, week. Is the part of the counter-argument the, the romanticism of, like, I have my trash person, right? Like, I have a relationship. That's like Gail. She's been picking up my trash, and I, like, want, I want her to do it, not some faceless, like, company to do it. I want Gail. Like I said, I mean, we, we have had, and, and I'm one of those, like, we've had a historic St. Paul family that has had this kind of hauling company uh, that has uh, served our family, like, who hauled for my grandparents and all for my, gra- my parents. And when I bought my house, it was like, I'm getting those same folks. And so we do have a great set of companies who have served our city with distinction and have built those types of relationships over time. Uh, we have to know that the needs of our whole city, uh, that building the city for the future has to take the precedent. Okay. Uh, two other things I want to ask you about, and I I should say in the second half of the show, we open up for you all to ask questions about whatever you want to. Uh, Any ask question about, you want to ask yeah. about trash? Yeah, about trash. Just, right. uh, but because <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing. So last time we we were also we always conveniently do these right before we're sort of like doing uh, a budgeting process. And so one of the things I asked you about last time was a difference that you and Mayor Fry had because Mayor Fry was very much like, oh, we're going to add more police officers in Minneapolis. Uh, and at that time, you were like, no, we're not, we don't need to add a lot more police officers here in St. Paul. You did end up adding more police officers. And so I'm wondering, what changed? Why did you end up deciding, like, oh, we need more officers sort of here in St. Paul? I, I would say, actually, nothing has changed. You know, our, our perspective has never been 
that officers are a bad thing. Our officers are fantastic. They serve our city incredibly. My father spent 28 years as a St. Paul police officer before retiring uh, some 15 years ago, uh, and they serve our city really, really well. Our argument is that keeping a city safe uh, requires a whole lot more kind of creative thinking. For the last better part of the last generation, our, the, the, the majority of our public safety strategy has been around what happens after something bad happens, what happens after we call 911, what happens after somebody's committed a crime. And, and I just think if we're going to talk about really keeping our city safe on a proactive level, it's got to start with what happens before somebody commits a crime and how do we have a strategy that actually reduces the amount of time we have to call 911 in the first place. So, uh, so you're getting the 2020 budget ready. Yes. So talk to me about what's in that uh, in terms of public safety. Like, what are the things folks should be looking you for? You have to come to my budget address. It's on August 15th. It's at Frogtown Community Center, our newest rec center in the city. It's an amazing space. I've gotten a chance to take a sneak peek at it. So you got to come and check that out. But it's going to definitely be... So, like, no te- no teasers. I've been told no spoiler alerts, right? No spoilers here uh, at the at uh, here tonight. Uh, but it's definitely going to reflect our kind of... Fir- so this community-first public safety framework that you just described, uh, which is built on really three core principles that are research-based principles. The first is that people who trust that law enforcement systems and personnel will treat them fairly are more likely to obey the law, they're more likely to call 911 in an emergency, and they're more likely to participate in an investigation so we can solve a crime after it happens. So that helps make us safer. Uh, The second is that people who are connected to opportunity and people who are connected to community are less likely to become either an offender or a victim. And the third is really critical that if you show me the places where we're most concerned that the next violent crime will happen in St. Paul, I can show you a place that we've historically disinvested in. And so we can use quality design principles and making a space uh, aesthetically pleasing to limit the opportunities for crime in the first place. Are there more police officers in the budget for this next year? You'll have to come on the 15th. I know you'll be in the front row to find out. And I have my best bow tie. Uh, so, uh, oh, okay. So last thing I wanted to add. Uh, so, uh, comprehensive plan. I know everyone's on the edge of their seat waiting for the zoning part of tonight's show. Uh, so again, uh, speaking of not being perfect, I do live in Minneapolis, which just narrowly avoided like a civil war over its 2040 plan. Um, uh, so it's comprehensive plan for what the city will look like. Ultimately, that resulted in city of Minneapolis saying, we are going to allow more density everywhere in the city. Uh, St. Paul has uh, also, uh, you're still in a phase of developing your plan, right? It's not been submitted, I believe, at this oh, point. No, it's oh, it's, sub- it's been submitted at this point. So, But it has, uh, it, it's been described as more incremental than that, that there's uh, more density in certain areas, uh, but not sort of the broad brush that Minneapolis has done. Is that a fair characterization? You know, I think we're, we're having a big conversation about our comprehensive plan, and, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm really energized by it. I mean, ultimately, the thing about our comprehensive plan and, and just the thing about city planning in general is this. Our city is growing really fast. Our metro area is growing super fast. We've literally added like 24,000 people to St. Paul since the 2010 census, right? Our city is it like 2010 census, we were 284-some thousand people. We're over 313,000 people right now. Over the next, it's our 2040 comprehensive plan. By 2040, we're projected to add 30,000 more people again to this city. So we got to think about that. That's, that's a lot more families we have to house. That's a lot more people 
people trying to get around our neighborhoods. That's a lot more jobs that we have to have in our community. That's a lot more children in our schools. And we got to think completely differently. I always tell folks, we're a landlocked city, so we can't grow out. We literally have to grow up. And that means thinking about the opportunities for smart density in our community and saying, how do we better use our tax base? And meanwhile, we have nothing but opportunity between the Ford plant and Hillcrest Golf Course, which are two different 100-plus acre sites that we get to completely redevelop from scratch, uh, between Boys Totem Town, the Sears site uh, near the Capitol, uh, Allianz Field, and everything that happens around there. We literally have the opportunity to expand our tax base by billions of dollars, and we can't afford to approach that with a protectionist kind of perspective uh, and, and, and not make the most of the opportunities that we have in front of it. So our comprehensive plan does call for more density. It calls for significantly more housing. It calls for more investments in transportation and transit planning, and it calls for like a complete street strategy that says our streets aren't just places for cars, but they're places for bikes and skateboards and pedestrians and all the different ways people want to get around. Uh, yes. Uh, the, the piece I'm just, I'm trying to figure out, because so, there is some difference here because there's, there's zoning. We're doing more density here in St. Paul, but it is uh, in areas. It's not everywhere the same way. So I'm curious, like, what is the logic behind that? Like, trying to decide, like, these are the places where we should do more density as opposed to doing more of a everywhere. You know, I, I, I guess I, I somewhat try to stay away from trying to figure out how to compare us to Minneapolis just because, first of all, I just, I just don't think there's any comparison. Um, but... <laughs> But and, but I mean and and I and I and I actually didn't mean that as a slight. I meant that in terms of like just the foundations are different. Yeah, so, the founda- so this is part you know, of my question: yeah. is like why why do why is I mean, this not necessary? Maybe in those the same places way? that I described, right between the Ford plant and the Hillcrest. I mean, they they don't have literally hundreds of acres that they get to just kind of develop from scratch, right? Uh, that they get to just kind of really imagine the ideal scenario for the like kind of these these new areas. Th- those places are going to keep us busy, and they're an incredible amount of opportunity for us. So maybe that's a part of why we're focused on saying, like, let's like focus everything that we can on looking at the Ford plant, which is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity right on the river, looking at this river's edge development that we've got right downtown and saying, how do we make the most of these things because they can have a really pronounced impact. Okay, uh, so as I promised, uh, in the second half of the show, we're going to bring the mayor back up here to answer all of your questions. But for now, will you all help me in doing a big round of applause for Mayor Melvin Carter? Yeah, and he and I are going to get off stage. Okay, all right. I have a feeling there's already lots of questions. Oh, just in case, though, uh, if you have a question, raise your hand. I will come towards you uh, in a non-threatening way with the microphone. And uh, I will give you a sticker, too. All right, here we go. All right, sticker. All right, sticker first, then microphone. There you go. Okay. At what point will the neighborhood district councils be engaged in the comprehensive plan planning? Ooh, neighborhood district councils and planning. Oh, it's a great question, um, and I appreciate that. You know, our district council, so that everybody knows, our district councils is our set of kind of community, uh, resident-led uh, uh, organizations that are responsible for helping us kind of do that kind of public engagement. Uh, the district councils uh, have been involved in that process. You don't feel like the – which district, which district council are you a part of? Oh, really? Okay. Which one? What did you say? Capital River Council. Capital River. Yeah, downtown. Well, then, then tomorrow. <laughs> is that for the answer? 
Um, no, so our goal is really to engage our, our district councils in all of those. Uh, I think district councils get a bad rap sometimes uh, because, you know, folks kind of say, you know, our district councils aren't, you know, representative of our whole city, which I think in some ways is true in some places. But also, if we're not going through our district councils, if we're not utilizing those district councils, then why would people, like, invest their time and the, their space, their, their energy in that space? And so our job is, I think, to make sure that people understand that the district councils are uh, really relevant uh, and great kind of channel. To, to, to be an active community member uh, while making sure that we're also kind of casting our net as, bro- as broadly as we can to bring in the maximum feedback that we can. Can you say maybe just a little bit about how those district councils get engaged in yeah. that yeah. process? The district councils, so I mean and you, you understand the district council system it sounds like. Uh, our district councils provide recommendations to the city council members on rezoning. We talked about zoning quite a bit so the rezoning kind of process is uh, the Ford master plan and kind of all of those types of things kind of a- a- across the city. Uh, and so when, whenever we do a big plan like that, uh, we, we should be, and it sounds like you feel like we haven't engaged that district council enough, uh, but we should be uh, going proactively to engage kind of those district councils and inviting when we uh, open them up for kind of public comment, inviting the, the members of the district council and inviting um, just neighbors in each of the city's districts uh, to provide their feedback through the district council on that, which should be incorporated into that planning process. Okay, there was a hand. Yeah, uh, when are we going to extend the light rail to East St. Paul to the intersection of Maryland and Clarence, to be precise? Oh, sticker. In this exact line to Maryland and Clarence. Um, it's a, it's, it's, that's actually an important thing. I mean, as we talk about connecting the east side to the, to the vitality and the vibrance and the opportunity of the whole city, there are literally places on the east side right here that we can drive to in like six minutes, but we take a half hour to get to by transit. Uh, and that's a real, it's a real problem because it disconnects the east side from the, opportun- from the opportunity of the whole city. And so that's one of the things that we're definitely working on. We just had a new, opened up a new bus route last summer, I guess, opened up a new bus route into the east side, but we're really looking forward to kind of open up the gold line to be able to connect the east side a little bit better. We're working with the legislature to rebuild the third street Kellogg Bridge, uh, which has been there for, since 1983 and needs a major rebuild uh, so that it can accommodate the gold line and all the transit kind of options that we want there. Obviously, the city doesn't run our transit system here uh, in the state, so we have to work with our partners at the state to build that out. But it's really necessary. You look at, like, we just changed our start times in our schools, right? And... Um, uh, we changed our start times in our St. Paul public schools because of like busing concerns, right? And trying to figure out how to do the transportation in Minneapolis, they don't have that problem because high schoolers take the city bus, they take public transportation to to school in the morning. We can't do that in St. Paul because we don't have the same type of robust transit service. We need that transit service. We have to work with our partners at the state to get it. Oh, bus questions! I love it. All right. Uh, oh, I'll come back over there, but I'm going to come over here and then I'll make my way back up here. I'm going to. Hand- Hi. So um, we live on Mears Park and just for several months, and we're really enjoying it. But I've, we've noticed that one side, one side of Mears Park now at the um, street level is empty, and then World of Beer <laughs> closed there. And we noticed that the buildings around us Um, have empty office space, but there's this plan to build towers on the river, and we're wondering what your thoughts are about how to 
develop these areas in the city versus building tower, new towers along the river. Yeah. So how do you do maybe more infill in places that are seeing like businesses disappear, either in addition to or complementary to some of the other things we talked about? Already? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I think the, f- the first thing is that I don't see them as verses at all. Uh, I see them as things that we need to kind of both be focused on. One of the things that we hear from kind of buildings, and we, we're, we're sitting real close to Osborne 370, which is a building right here that just got a major kind of gutting uh, and a major rebuild on the inside. And one of the reasons they did that was because they said there's a lot of businesses, and we see them, who want to come to St. Paul. And what they're finding is it's the type of, and this is one of these things that I'm learning a lot as mayor that I just never kind of had to think about before, uh, but... Um, you know, it's, 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 it's like a game of word pizza. I learned like all of these new vocabulary words when we kind of, when there's a rock slide or when something happens, but with this building right here, one of the things that we've learned is that what our businesses want is they want a different type of office space than some of the commercial space that we have uh, vacant and empty in the city. And so uh, the, the new buildings that are coming online have larger floor plates. They have kind of more open space designs. They have just kind of a, a different feel to the design of the space than some of those old spaces do. So I think it's a great thing to have, these, to have these, this plan for these towers on the river. I think that's really important. We are a river city whether we know it or not like St. Paul has more frontage of river than any city in America uh, yet we don't really utilize that river we don't really connect to that river in a meaningful way I was in a city recently I mean they literally have this little tiny brook and going through the middle of the downtown and there's like 30 different places where you can go have a beer have you know some food listen to live music on the water because water is just a well-known a well-established kind of organizing principle for economic social and cultural opportunity and so I think we have to be doing kind of both of those things. And so that's, that's what our focus has been, working with our uh, downtown alliance to make sure that downtown is vibrant and a welcoming and inviting space uh, to showcase it for both developers and the type of businesses who want to locate downtown. But it's, I don't see it as a competitive gesture against the new development because it's really different types of businesses that are looking for some of the, uh, the type of uh, vacant spaces that we have versus the different kind of type of new spaces that we're building. Uh, maybe part of the answer to this uh, is, or are there things you can do as a city to incentivize more infill, or is that something that is the market? And, you know, as you said, businesses will decide to be where they want to be. Um, I, I, I definitely think that there are things that we can do to incentivize more infill. Uh, and the, the, the traditional kind of uh, playbook has been to, find those businesses and write them a check and get them to kind of move into the city. Uh, one of the challenges, though, that we see when we look at, like, why businesses are, like, what businesses are challenged with right now, the biggest challenge we're hearing from business leaders right now is, is sourcing workforce, right, and sourcing talent. We have a business downtown right now that is paying rent on a space, just um, renewed their rent for another 10 years or something like that. They have space in there for literally 100 more employees that's empty right now. And I asked that CEO who's in New York City, what it would take to fill that space, to, you know, to put those jobs here in this space. And he said a workforce pipeline. And so one of the things that we're really focused on right now is saying, you know, in, in, in the metro area, we have more job openings than job seekers right now. So if we want to expand the pie, it's not about chasing employers and trying to find big checks to give them to subsidize them moving to St. Paul. It's about showcasing the incredible, diverse, uh, uh, global, international, multilingual uh, workforce talent pipeline 
pipeline that we have here and making sure they're able to plug into that. Okay, there was, there was a hand over here. Hello. Um, I just put some ice in my mouth. Um, <laughs> that was bad timing. Um, my question is, when will Ide Mill Road become a complete street? <laughs> Maybe just for our, uh, you know, visiting, we should explain where this is and how, how it is not a complete street now. How it is not a complete street now. So there's a, there's a philosophy in uh, transportation planning that we've looked at our streets as sort of through fares for cars as opposed to like real public space for people, right? And in a way, our streets and our sidewalks, like we talk about our parks and our you know, playgrounds and things like that. But if we think about like the proportion of public space that we have in our community, our streets and our sidewalks are an incredible wealth of public space that we're really underutilizing when we, just, when we build them for cars instead of building them for people. People want to get around our city on bikes. People want to be able to walk safely around our city. People want to be able to get around our city on transit and, and, and scooters, as you saw in the skit, uh, and multiple different ways. And so the, the concept of complete streets says we need to be building our streets in a way that's safe for people to interact with them in all of the different ways. We've had a historic controversy over I Mill Road for a really long time uh, here in St. Paul. It's a great opportunity to do something uh, on a demonstration level. Uh, I think it's a great idea, uh, and I would invite you to come to my budget address on uh, August 15th. <laughs> okay. Oh, such a persistent hand. All right, here. Oh, it's for her? Okay. Well, she's a little nervous. Oh, you want the sticker, though? <laughs> so this is my daughter, Maddie. She's 12. She, first of all, appreciates the fact that you went to Capitol Hill to testify because you're looking forward to her future. Absolutely. Not ours. Maddie, um, so thank you for being here. We appreciate you being here. That's really awesome. So she has a threefold question. Um, because, because we've pulled out of the Paris Accords, uh, have you thought about who you're going to endorse for president? Or it, you don't have to say who, but have you thought about it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Are you ever aspiring to get to a federal level office? And if so, would you consider uh, lowering the voting age? <laughs> lowering it to what? Uh, 13. 13. She'll be 13 soon. <laughs> That's right. 13. Um, it's a great question. So the reason I love local politics, the reason I love local governance is this. I used to, people ask me like all the time, what's the difference between like city hall and like the state legislature? And what I always tell them is, if you think about the complex issues of our day that stimulate your cerebral core, that's the state legislature. If you think about the stuff that pisses you off, that's city hall, right? <laughs> and the way I justify that is by, if you think about the things in your life that have had such a profound and intimate and immediate impact on your moment, on your drive to work or on your drive home, that you like involuntarily growl, right? Just uh, before you even think about it. I can almost guarantee you it's a city hall issue, right? Uh, it's a pothole. Uh, it's trash. It's, you know, vacant buildings. It's, you know, neighborhood crime. Uh, what'd you say? It's fireworks. It might be. It's it's something that you'd address in City Hall. And so that gives us an opportunity to really connect people in a different way. Uh, I believe, you know, my, my passion is about engaging people in the processes that impact their life. And I think we have an opportunity at City Hall because the work that we do is so intimately connected to our lives. I think we have an opportunity to do that in City Hall in a way that they don't really have an opportunity to do in Washington, D.C. So I love the local government. I love the municipal government. I get to meet mayors from across the country and across the world who are doing really, really exciting things. 
And the truth is, if you think about where the action is happening right now at the federal level, they pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, which is a ridiculous decision. Uh, but like I said, 407, 420, something like that, mayors across the country are taking action and saying, we're going to move, we're going to take action. And cities are just the, the place where the action is happening. So no, I don't really have a desire to be in Washington, D.C. I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be. And, 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 and if you're thinking about questions like climate change and all of this, I definitely think we should think about lowering the voting age so you can vote. Yeah. Thank you. That is great. Yes, pay attention to local policy. Who are you endorsing in uh, the presidential candidate? Uh, there's a candidate named Tane Danger who I'm I, really excited thank about. Thank you very much. I am not 35, sir. So... Uh, <laughs> So back on fireworks, uh, is there a possibility for the city to sponsor a GoFundMe campaign or something so we can get fireworks back in St. Paul? It's, the question is about fireworks. So we, um, we, we made the decision last year. We had a pretty short conversation in my office. Uh, one of our staff members came in and said, do you want fireworks in the city? And I said, absolutely. I love fireworks. And they said, it'll cost us $100,000. And I said, no, thanks. Like, what, what do we have to do next? And... And it's a, it's a pretty important question. And, and I'll tell you, of all the people, that decision was probably most unpopular with my wife who called me when she saw it in the newspaper and was like, well, are you kidding? The fireworks? What's up with the fireworks? Uh, that's true. Um, but here's the thing. When I talk to St. Paul residents, and I hear from people all the time who are like, I like fireworks. I'm like, well, that's not the question. The question is, do you want your property taxes to go up by $100,000 so that we can have more fireworks? Uh, and I haven't found a yes to that question yet. Um, and the point, I think, is that $100,000 is significant, right? The, the, the cost of eliminating late fees in our libraries was just over $200,000, was $215,000. Uh, we took $200,000 in our budget last year and, uh, and tripled the free programming that we do citywide uh, for kids in our recreation centers. We have 1,000 more kids in our recreation centers this year than last year because of that investment. And we were able to find $100,000 just a couple of weeks after we made that announcement. We were able to find $100,000 uh, to start in uh, a legal defense fund for immigrants and refugees in our community. And so every dollar that we spend is connected to a value that we have. And as much as I like fireworks, I can't find a place where I can, prioritize, where I can honestly look you in the eyes and prioritize fireworks over all of those other things that we're doing. We can work. We can work. We can work with uh, our local businesses. And the truth is, we're working right now with our local businesses to raise money to put fifty dollars in the bank to start every child who's born in our city on the pathway to college. We're working with them to raise money to 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 put with our private sector to raise money to put electric charging charging hubs around our city so that people who have electric cars can have access to like those things. And the challenge is, as I think about the limited capital that I have to spend with those folks that we're asking to do things that are really, really critically important to our city, that's capital that I hesitate to spend for fireworks as well, to be honest with you. We do have some business owners who are interested in kind of having that conversation and some folks who are pulling that conversation together organically, and we support that. But I, like I said, I, I'm not in a space where I can say the most important thing that I need to pull together with the, the CEOs, the business leaders, and the Chamber of Commerce type of folks in our city is to come up with $100,000 for fireworks. Uh, I, I hear about a lot of really exciting development projects all over the city. Yes. 
And I'm concerned because every time the topic of affordable housing comes up, it feels like the city doesn't have an, enough leverage at this point to make it happen. What can we do to have more affordable housing or along the same lines, houses that are affordable, uh, particularly for our quickly growing population of, of seniors? That's a that's a great question. I was just thinking, I'm gonna, whatever the next question is, I'm going to answer it briefly, uh, but I, I can't answer that question briefly, so I apologize. In our budget last year, affordable housing was the centerpiece of it. We created a $71 million fund to say we're going to invest over the next three years $71 million in affordable housing in our community, which is an incredibly large number compared to what we did over the last three years, but let's be honest, it's a relatively modest number compared to what the need is in our community. It helps us to build new units we need new units of housing at every level, but particularly at the most deeply affordable kind of levels in our city. So it's going to help us do that. It's going to help us rehabilitate existing units, which is something that's really important because we have a lot of what's called like naturally, afford, afford, naturally occurring affordable housing across our city, which is getting old, it's getting aged, and we have to make sure that those spaces are, are, are quality and that they're, 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 they're places where people can live with dignity. Uh, but then also in this year, I've challenged the city council and we're working together right now in my state of our city address this past spring. I challenged our city council to pass a fair housing policy agenda to ensure uh, to ensure that uh, we're we're taking action to prevent the type of displacement uh, that and, and and gentrification that can occur as a community thrives. So we're doing all of those things. Those are, those are the chapters. One of the things that I'm excited about that we're going to be piloting really soon uh, in partnership with our schools. I announced this in our state of our city address as well. Is when we think about education, one of the big challenges as we talk to teachers one of the big challenges they talk about isn't like what curriculum we're going to teach it's the fact that we have children in our st paul public schools who move five times in a school year who change schools five times in a school year because they're moving their family is moving that much so one of the partnerships that we're creating is for uh, families below 30 percent of the area median income we're saying we're going to create what's called like a a, a, a a supplemental rent subsidy program which says we can't necessarily pay your whole rent because we want the, 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 to spread the program. But our goal is to provide $300 uh, every month to some of these families uh, with school-aged children so that we can expand access to stable, affordable housing and have a twofold impact, the right now impact of families having access to housing, but then the long-term impact that we can have from children being able to be stably housed, stably in the same school, to be able to spend time on task and to be able to get in their education. Uh, there was one last question. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, it's just two part. But one is, what would you want to tell the legislature, knowing that St. Paul and Ramsey County looks like Minnesota will look like in about twenty years? What advice would you want to give to them? And then I can only imagine the young people in our community who look up to you, someone growing up in our community, and that you inspire them. Do you have any story to share to them? I just imagine their bright eyes looking up to you and you inspiring them. I appreciate the question. You know, one of the amazing things that we've found, um, and, and, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting for equity every day, right? And it's interesting because I went to business school, right? And then I went to, got my master's degree in public policy and, like, started this, like, social justice kind of thing. And the intriguing thing for me is the, the definition of the word equity shifted uh, from business school to, like, m like advocacy, Right. 
Uh, like we talk about equity a lot as like this fairness and justice and everybody gets a hug type of type of word. When I was in business school, equity was a really simple word. It was about uh, ownership. Uh, it was about participation in decision-making processes, and it was about ability to participate in the financial rewards uh, of economic process, of economic progress, right? And I actually don't think they're two different words. I think you can't actually have one without the other, which is why we're so focused on engaging people in this process. Our disparities, I believe, are built on generations of exclusive decision-making processes. And if we're going to do something different, if we're going to kind of kind of change course, it can't be done by just no matter who the mayor is, by repeating more exclusive decision-making processes. And so I think one of the pieces of advice that I would give to anybody is if we're going to make decisions that are going to really be about facing the future and preparing Minnesota or preparing St. Paul for the future, it's got to be done with those voices at the table. We spend too much time at the Capitol talking about people who aren't in the room. And we have to have those folks in the room. We have to have those voices. And that's really the only way to ensure that the policy and the resources that we pass are going to be positively, uh, are, are going to be able to positively influence their lives. Our young people, it's a great question. Our young people face an endless wealth of opportunity, right? Um, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know, I was thinking about a, a farm analogy. It's like, you know, just like, like milk, milk the milk, you know, that's available. <laughs> All of the opportunity that exists in our community, Right. There's all this opportunity that exists in our community. We've got to take advantage of it. I went to college on a track and field scholarship, uh, and, um, and you know, my coach used to give us really good advice. He was like, you know, you're going to have you know, bad days. You're going to have rainy days on the track. You're going to have days that you just don't feel like it. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have all these things. Uh, and my coach just said, like, if you, keep, if, you, if you never stop breathing, just keep breathing and keep putting one foot in front of the other, and you'll be amazed where you can go. So that's, I think, what I would tell our young people. On that inspiring note, please, one more time, a big round of applause, Mayor Melvin Carter, everybody. Wow. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.